rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Tuesday, everyone out there in Gamecock land. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert as we roll on through the first game week of the 2020 season. Um, appreciate all you folks listening. Got some mailbag questions to, to get to. Boy, those mailbag questions have been popping in. I certainly appreciate those. Uh, went over to the Apple podcast page yesterday. Saw a bunch of you had gone and left reviews and rated it five stars and now we're up to 5.0 out of 5.0, uh, even with some folks that probably aren't fans of mine that are competitors uh, going in there and, and sneaking and rating at one star when we started. Uh, so we've, we've won the math battle there. Still want to get to 1,000. We're trucking towards that number. 1,000 by the end of the football season uh, would be great. Uh, encourage your friends to listen and all that good stuff. And apparently some of you have. Because some of the mailbag questions that have been coming in say, hey, my buddy said to listen to this, said you were back. We used to listen to Locked on the Gamecocks or whatever um, <clears throat> back when you had that. So I, I, I want to just thank all of you guys and gals out there for listening to this podcast. It means a lot to me uh, and a lot to us at the Big Spur 24-7 Sports because that's what this podcast is a part of. Um, certainly can't thank you enough. Uh, it's been a crazy offseason. There's no question about it. And so um, I'm just glad that uh, we have some football to talk about now. Gamecocks released a practice video this morning, and um, it's not really news. They do this stuff. Justin King and his group really have, have, have revolutionized, I, I guess, the social media presence for the football program. And really, they did a good job of men's basketball last year, too, and baseball. Um and that's what you need these days. It helps recruiting. It helps kind of your PR and your fans like it too, you know, because they're basically uh, hype videos. Um, and, you know, it's, it starts with Will Muschamp talking about how hard the Gamecocks practice. And I started thinking about this today. And um, I, I think that this is yet another one of those things that, you know, during the Muschamp era, that, that because the results on the field have not been uh, what we hoped or, or thought they should be, uh, this group practices extremely hard. Um, they do. And uh, I think they've done a good job this year with the space between practices uh, in terms of health. And, and, you know, they've sort of avoided some of your run-of-the-mill uh, injuries with the exception of, of Marshawn Lloyd. That happened in a non-contact drill. just a freak, freak situation. Um, then maybe some other schools have. I think that's a good sign for Paul Jackson, the new uh, strength and conditioning coach. And I also think that you know, it, Muschamp keeps talking about how he likes it, and, and I think they do go so hard in practice that sometimes you have to think, well, maybe it's good they're spacing this out a little bit. Um, you talk to any player, um, any recruit that visits, any parent that visits, because uh, we're not allowed to watch practice. And, and the one thing that stands out is just how fast and, and upbeat and intense the practices are. Uh, and that that falls in line with some of the best programs in the country. I mean, uh, from Bama to Clemson to LSU to Georgia, right on down. I mean, that that's, you know, the best teams are usually the ones that get after it in practice and do a good job. You know, I, I know under Steve Spurrier, you know, people thought they didn't practice hard, but they, they actually did. It was, it was just a different type of maybe atmosphere. You know, Spurrier 
you know, you asked the quarterbacks that had to practice with them, those practices were not easy. Uh, and they made sure, you know, the Gamecocks uh, under Spurrier uh, with Craig Fitzgerald specifically, Mark Strickland before him, you know, they ran a lot. And, uh, you know, Spurrier's very simple mandate was just get in, get in the best shape you can and, and let's go do it. Let's go do it. So um, I think that's a pattern that most successful programs have. Now, again, just like most things, does that guarantee you're going to win? No. But if you don't do it, uh, you know, that, that you're not going to be that successful. That, that's that's the bottom line, um, especially in the Southeastern Conference. So, you know, I just wanted to point that out. I also wanted to say for those of you that are, like, tired of hearing about how good they're practicing and how intense they are practicing and would just like to see it on Saturday, I understand that as well. Um, you know, we're going on now when the Clemson game was, what, end of November of 2019. We're at the end of September of 2020. So we, we've, we've been – there was no spring game. So we've all been about 10 months without seeing the Gamecocks play it down. And then the last game they played, um, and, and there were some competitive moments that were bright spots in that Clemson game, but it was really, you know, over before it started, to be honest. I mean, Clemson completely, you know, the, it wasn't like the year before where you're looking at a touchdown game at the half and a shootout where you're making plays and they're making plays. Well, game, the Gamecocks were just dead in the water. It was – I call it the, the Clemson – boa constrictor game because they do that to teams they get up and then they start running it and then all of a sudden it's 35 to nothing and you're like well you know there's no way you can come back because they're on the field and they're going three and out with you with their defense and all that but we can talk about Clemson another time I mean we don't honestly have to talk about them until 2021 <laughs> but uh you know so the last time the Gamecocks played, really the last few games, they played bad football. It was it was one of the worst stretches of football, especially offensively, since 1999 uh, that I've seen. And it was the worst record, obviously, since 1999 uh, when you have a season with the same head coach the whole entire season. So, uh, yeah, I think people are ready to see an improved product uh, against another opponent. And that opponent happens to be Tennessee coming in, you know, the first game of the season. Like I've mentioned before, that was a game that even when the schedule was normal, like it is, you circle because that's a team within the East that's, you know, similar to South Carolina in terms of where they're at um, right now. Uh, they haven't been on South Carolina's level uh, in 12 years consistently. Um, but they're a team that likes to come into South Carolina and recruit. They've got a lot of fans in the area. Uh, they got a lot of fans, period, and this is a game they expect to win every single season. And it's a game South Carolina needs to expect to win every single season. When you talk in terms of the East, you know, and, and you're looking at it, you know, just all things being equal, what programs match up well with other programs? Well, South Carolina matches up really well with, with Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri and Vanderbilt. You know, Florida's always going to have a lot of speed and talent. No matter who the coach is down there, and then Georgia's Georgia. Uh, although, in fairness, the Gamecocks have you know the last uh, ten years against both of those teams, I think they're ten and ten. Um, you know, things have not gone well against the Gators the last two seasons, but lo and behold, Carolina knocks off Georgia last year. So, those are not insurmountable opponents 
by any stretch. But you know, let's be let's be honest. You know, when you have the state of Florida to recruit from, when you have three national championships, you have the swamp. Um, you know, you're going to be able to go out and get your share of players. Uh, just like University of Georgia, you know, you're the team in the fourth most talent-laden state in the country behind only Texas, Florida, California. Um, you're going to be able to get your share. It almost um, – those places almost recruit themselves. And it doesn't matter if you're South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, even some of the West schools. Um, you're going to – you're not as in an advantageous recruiting setup as Georgia and Florida. And that, that's the bottom line. So they're always going to have players. It doesn't mean you can't beat them in a given season. It just means, you know, when you're kind of stacking it up, you know, you, you kind of check off Tennessee – uh, you know, the state of Tennessee does have ball players. They do have more tradition. Um, they have more in the trophy case. They're a tough out in recruiting. But, you know, the last 15 years, South Carolina's won, won more than they've lost against the volunteers in recruiting, especially when you talk about when you're going outside of the state of Tennessee. Uh, same with Kentucky, same with Missouri, same with Vandy. So, you know, this is one of those uh, – I call it the SEC North – you know, this is one of those SEC North opponents. The Gamecocks need to turn it back around again. Now, the good news is they've, you know, they've this is not a team, even though they beat them last year. And, and it's funny because I think the consensus is that Carolina should beat Missouri this year. Now, if Missouri hadn't fired their coach and hired a new one, you know, maybe people feel like, you know, maybe they feel differently about that. Uh, but, you know, the, the M on the helmet is different than the T. It means a lot different, but really they're kind of right there in the same area. You know, <laughs> uh, Tennessee's probably more talented than Missouri on the roster, but, you know, it's still a team that beat Carolina by 20 and in a game the Gamecocks did not play well, coached particularly well. Um, last year in Knoxville, same with Missouri, same with the Tigers. They won by 20 in a game the Gamecocks didn't play or coach particularly well. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of the same thing. Uh, with this, and I, and I think there's also a reason Tennessee's a three-point favorite. Uh, I think that you know Vegas, you know those guys crunch everything in, and they're like, "Well, here's what should happen." Um, and I don't know how much Vegas is given with the home field right now, um, but I don't know. You know, I'm, Keith and I on Locked on the Gamecocks yesterday discussed the fact that you know this game, this series is is razor close every single year. It's just one of those things. Uh, and I always use the example of 2012 and 2015. 2012 was Dooley's last year at Tennessee. They weren't very good, um, struggled mightily. He ended up getting fired. And Carolina, that was probably, I think, had it not been for the schedule where they had to go Georgia, at LSU, and at Florida three straight weeks, um, I, I, I think that that was their best team, you know, that they had under Spurrier. Uh, that's the team that also whipped Georgia 35-7 and, and all that. But they, they didn't always play great. Um, and here we go in that game. Marcus Lattimore's running through them, uh, having one of his best games. And then, lo and behold, he gets hurt. The wind comes out of the sails a little bit. And, you know, it's 38-35. Tennessee's driving. And Jadevian Clowney comes off the edge and forces George, Justin Worley, another Rock Hill guy, uh, into fumbling the football. And the Gamecocks hold on. So that was a three-point game they could have lost. You know, it could have been a titanic upset for the Volunteers. Um, and honestly, when they've been bad, they've had their moments where they'll jump up and bite somebody. Two years ago at Auburn, 
you know, that team went to Auburn and won. Um, so they, they, they can jump up, you know, 2013, they beat South Carolina. So they turned it around the next year and did pull the upset. So it's one of those things where, you know, in that year, Tennessee was not very good. Carolina was one of the best in the country. Uh, and it was a three point game. I'll take you to 2015, Sean Elliott. Like I said, been talking about him a lot in that six game stretch because he's doing well at Georgia State. Congratulations to him. Uh, you know, Carolina's going in the end zone. Jarrell Adams fumbles. It's 27 24, three point game, you know, survivor. Uh, you know, and, and you look at the game since 2012, it, it's been a three point game at Williams Bryce every single year. You know, so for, for 10 years, worth of games at Williams Bryce, South Carolina, Tennessee has been decided by a field goal. Now, Carolina won in 2012, 2016, and 2018. They're three and one. Uh, and then we've talked about the 2014 game ad nauseum. That was just a, a miracle on the part of the balls. I mean, I think, I think I wrote like a life lesson about that game. That was, that was a tough one. That was a tough one right there. Uh, although I am, you know, person, I covered Josh Dobbs as a recruit when I worked in national recruiting at 24 seven sports and, uh, a little piece of me was happy that he had such a great game, you know, personal, on a personal level, take the uniforms away. But, you know, <laughs> for the Gamecocks, that was just a, a poop burger. It was like making a uh, sloppy Joe out of cow dung and putting Miracle Whip on it and trying to eat it. That was just how bad that game was. And so, you know, you, you look at it, it's, it's been a three-point game at Williams-Brice, you know, throughout. Now, the crowd – Saturday night, uh, you know, they probably are not probably going to try to get to that 20,000. And look, I would encourage you, if you just love watching Gamecock football, you know, and, and you can get tickets because, I, I look, I understand, man, the tickets are high, you know, because they're not selling that many. I think the demand they thought would far outweigh the, the uh, supply uh, and, you know, they're cash strapped. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you're looking at a $50 million loss. You're going to jack up ticket prices a little bit um, because you're not going to, you know, have that many. Uh, but if you can afford it or if you find some cheaper, somebody wants to let some go for cheap, I mean, I'd go. It's not going to be the same type atmosphere, but, you know, heck, you get, you know, only get so many chances to see your team play. Only get so many chances to see your team play Tennessee. Now, now this is not my normal you know, call for fans to come to the games. But, I mean, I, I, there are a lot of variables here, and under no circumstances, if you don't feel comfortable going, should you go? I think there's just a certain type of fan out there that, you know, if the tickets weren't 135 bucks or whatever, if you can get it for 60, it would probably go and watch a little ball. Um, and then that'll help. I, I think that, you know, they're probably going to pipe some crowd noise in, you know, before the down, you know, between downs. Uh, Clemson did that the other day, and I, I thought it worked well for those guys. Uh, the band will be there. I mean, it'll you know, it'll be a home field advantage. You know, there'll be a crowd, but um, you know, certainly, I don't know that they're going to sell all twenty thousand tickets right now per reports. Um, I think some some people probably are more optimistic than others. We'll, we'll wait and see, kind of how that goes. But they're going on sale for the general public. So you know, those of you that were worried that only boosters were going to get all the tickets and, and the, the common man would be left out. You know, you have your chance to buy them. I, like I said, I know they're expensive. Um, and I think that would be a deterrent for some people. Plus, 
heck, you know, you get a night game and you can't really tailgate or, you, you, you know, you can't at least tailgate in the university lots and stuff. And you get a night game and you got the first ever, you know, week of the all SEC 10 game schedule. I mean, you know, part of me says, with you know, if your TV's nice and you can, you're making some snacks and some some beverages or whatever, that maybe you, uh, maybe that's a little bit more fun option for you. I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I certainly get that as well as far as the game, but the crowd there, you know, that, that's one thing that I was, uh, I was, I was thinking about. Um, you know, Tennessee comes in, like I've said before, big mad respect for Jeremy Pruitt for turning that thing around last year. That was a team that had a difficult time crossing the 50 yard line uh, in SEC play before they played the Gamecocks. And, and really they were not an offensive juggernaut after they played the Gamecocks either. I mean, it was, I don't want to call it a fluke because you have to make the plays. You have to throw the ball, you know, on a deep pass on target (laughs) and you have to hit the guy and the guy's got to go make a play, but they didn't really repeat all that. You know, they had a game at Missouri kind of came from behind and won. Uh, Very, very fortunate to be Kentucky. Their defense stopped Kentucky inside the 10 late. Uh, They did beat Vanderbilt 28 to 10 before they played Carolina. They had beaten Mississippi state 20 to 10 and a game that surprised me, uh, you know, because I, th- I thought Mississippi State at that point was better on offense than they were. Uh, but they got that win earlier, and then they, they snapped the streak against Vandy 28-10, and then in the Gator Bowl down 22-9, to the Vols came back and won. So, so you have a series there after the Carolina game where, yeah, their opponents weren't all that great, um, and they did have to come from behind and win and hold on to play a lot of close games. But that's good for your program. When you start winning a lot of close games – your team gets accustomed to winning and saying, okay, well, what do we need to do if we're down in the fourth quarter, you know, to get back in it and go get the W. And especially with Jarrett Garantano, I think that 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 makes him a more dangerous player than maybe in the past. Admittedly, I've never been high on him as a quarterback. Uh, But also, admittedly, he's had some moments where he's proved me wrong. I I start, you know, think about the game against Carolina last year. Uh, I'll think back to the – the Auburn game I mentioned the previous year, and I thought he played well in Columbia. Uh, the Gamecocks won the game. I thought he played well for the most part, hitting those little screen passes and stuff. So he he's a guy, and, and I'm going to transition here and start talking about some of Tennessee's personnel. Uh, an article off our uh, Tennessee site, Go Vols 24-7, talks about the 10 most important players of the year for them. Uh, and it starts on the offense, obviously, with Garantano. Um you know, I, I think that, you know, when he's on, you know, he's one of the best in the country at standing in the pocket, taking a hit and delivering a catchable ball. Uh, I think the guy's tough. Does he make mistakes sometimes? Does he have bad games? Does he go in a rut sometimes? Yes. Uh, but that was then, and this is this year. And he's back in all sorts of confidence uh, heading into this football game. Um and so I think, you know, he's a dangerous player. The Gamecocks have to make sure they pressure him. They have to make sure they cover. Uh, the, ter- the word coverage sack probably comes into play because I know Tennessee's offensive line is very good, but if you got everybody covered, you know, you're going to be able to get to the quarterback eventually. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, that's an important player. And then they mentioned him, I think, I think number one as to the guy that's going to be the key 
to the Vol season. He's out of the state of New Jersey. Was an elite eleven guy, but I thought, and maybe that's why it's taken him, you know, this long or or, or all that. Because I thought when he came out, he was a little overrated just because he was just kind of a camp guy. Um, sort of a guy like Bryce Ramsey at Georgia, where you know he looked great in camps and, and had all the the tools and stuff, but you know the production at the high school level in pads just wasn't quite there. And so I think that, um, you know, when you look at it from from that standpoint, maybe that's why it's taken him this long, you know, because he just has to go play football. And I'll tell you this, for a quote-unquote camp guy, he stands in the pocket like a man. I mean, this this guy, I got to give him credit. He takes some shots, and he'll sit there and deliver it and hold on to it to the last minute. He's one of the best. I think, you know, when you look at quarterbacks around the league at doing that, um, so that's good because, you know, that means – you know, you may be getting pressure, but he's still getting it off and picking you apart when he's on, when he's on. So, uh, Garantano is a guy that's uh, mentioned uh, in the article as number one. Uh, you know, some other players they talked about on defense, uh, you have Kevon Bennett. Uh, this is a good story. You know, he's replacing Daryl Taylor, who was one of their really good players uh, last year uh, outside linebacker. It's kind of like the Jack or the Buck. I think the position that Taylor played and, um, you know, Kevon Bennett is the son of former Alabama and NFL star Cornelius Bennett. You guys remember Cornelius Bennett? I remember I do. Um, so Kevon is his son. He takes over for Taylor there. Uh, hadn't played a whole lot, but certainly purports out of Knoxville, say the seniors, the lights come on. He's playing really well. He is Cornelius Bennett's son. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's a guy to watch. That's a guy you circle on that defense because that's the the glamour pass rushing spot uh, that, you know, when you look at their, their linebackers, you got Toto, who's a stud on the inside, five-star guy that's played like a five-star. Um, again, that next guy I'm going to mention is Quaveris Crouch. We remember him. He was a five-star running back out of Charlotte, went to Tennessee as a linebacker. He's starting this year, and he's supposed to be – you know, the next man up on the inside. Uh, and then you got Bennett. And so if Bennett's the guy that can rush the passer and be the jack or however you talk, you know, however you want the terminology for these defenses, um, he could be that guy. Uh, he could be that guy that, that helps rush the passer and all that. So he's a guy you circle. Uh, I mentioned Crouch, you know. Uh, I thought Tennessee's linebackers last year played really well. Would they have Batuli inside? I think he says that's how you say his name, Batulin. Um, along with Toto, Crouch circled him on out. It's time for tr- the five-star talent there uh, to step up and play well at linebacker, uh, which I think I think he can. I think he's a good good enough athlete to do that. Showed some signs last year, but he's got to take it to the next level. Um, and, and then they mentioned also on defense, Jalen McCullough. There's a guy that you know they beat South Carolina on in recruiting. Um, Gamecocks liked him, then kind of backed off, then liked him again. Uh, I want to be clear, that's not why he went to Tennessee, because Carolina backed off. I think he would have gone to Tennessee regardless. Uh, it ended up being that way where he just visited there. and Tennessee's pretty good in northern Georgia, um, the northern suburbs of Atlanta, I think Cobb County, that area, uh, which makes sense because you got to go right up 75 to Knoxville. That's, uh, they, sh- they should be able to reach their tentacles into there and win their share. Uh, but I, I thought I thought out of high school he was a baller. I thought I thought really well, really good player. 
Jalen McCullough. Um, and now he gets to replace, you know, or, or kind of make, take up the slack for Nigel Warrior being out or, or going to the NFL, all-SEC guy from last year. Uh, so McCullough is going to be a big part of that secondary. Um, we talk a lot about Elante Taylor and Bryce Thompson at corner, and, and I think that duo could be one of the best in the SEC. You know, but as we've all seen at South Carolina over the years, if you don't have good safety play, you know, teams can exploit you a little bit, especially in the passing game. So uh, Jalen McCullough, there's a familiar name for you that Tennessee has on the roster that you need to look out for. Um Sticking with the defense, Aubrey Solomon. Uh, this was an interesting recruitment. This guy he was a five-star D tackle from South Georgia. Uh, Georgia, when Tracy Rocker, who's now at Carolina, was there, recruited him, lost him to Michigan. You know, Rocker gets dismissed from Georgia, and the word is it's because of he missed on Aubrey Solomon. Then there's conflicting info as to whether that was even true or not. Then Solomon like clockwork, leaves Michigan. <laughs> and sometimes when recruiting gets crazy like that, you know, you, and you finally, if you get the guy, you know, then the next step is you got to hope you hold on to it. And um, so Solomon, you know, sort of is, uh, is uh, you know, up at Michigan, and he leaves and looks for a new place to home. Lo and behold, he goes to play for Tracy Rocker at Tennessee. And he got eligible last year and all that. Wasn't – you know, it wasn't terrible, wasn't great. You know, they had another guy, Emmett Golden, Gooden, who over the offseason got dismissed. So he's going to have to step up for them. Aubrey Solomon on that D-line, you know, he's going to – you know, the word on this article is – from this article is that um, he's going to have to play like a five-star. And he hasn't so far, honestly. You know, he's not he's not been a guy that you look at. You know, my, my, my opinion on a – Lock solid, no-brainer, five-star, you know, top three, top prospect at D-tackle. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, not Zach Pickens. Uh, Zach Pickens was an outside guy sliding to the inside. But, you know, your guys that, you know, are already big that are up there is, is you know, Dexter Lawrence and, like, DJ Dale at Alabama last year. You know, those types of guys. Solomon hadn't played anywhere near that level. Um, and before you say, well, Zach Pickens hadn't either, you know, we're, we're, we're a little further into the Aubrey Solomon career than we are the, the Zach Pickens career, number one. Number two, uh, keep in mind, Pickens did have to kind of learn to play inside and, and, and slide in there. And, you know, we don't know what he's going to do this year. I have a feeling it's going to be pretty good. Um, so there's that. So that, that's what they're saying out of Knoxville is Aubrey Solomon has to step up for them. Uh, we'll see if that happens. You know, back on offense, the, you know, they, they're tied in Austin Pope. It was sort of known he would be out. He's had some back surgery. Uh, they say he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the SEC. I believe them. Um, and so he's not going to be available for the game. They had another tight end transfer out. Oh, Jackson Lowe, I think is his name. It's a kid from Cartersville that uh, – Played with Trevor Lawrence at Cartersville and went to Tennessee. He's he's transferring somewhere else, and so they got a guy named Princeton Fant. Uh, I think he's an in-state kid. He's a, a, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's from within the state. He's played fullback, tight end, linebacker, all over the place <laughs> during his career at Tennessee. Sort of a Swiss Army knife. 
But from what I remember about him watching this film out of high school, he's an excellent athlete, you know, and, and I think you got to watch it because Jim Chaney will, will all of a sudden call something and throw it to the fullback or tight end. And you're like, uh, pants down. <laughs> so uh, look out for Princeton fan on Saturday night. And then, of course, you know, their top returning receivers, Josh Palmer. I, Josh Palmer's been super steady uh, during his time at Tennessee. Uh, you know, it's time for him to step up and be the number one guy, sort of like Shy Smith at Carolina. Now, he's not a not a big play type, you know, burner guy like Shy, but he's probably a little more consistent just catching the – I don't want to say catching because Shy catches everything. I want to say he doesn't disappear uh, during games like Shy Smith sometimes. So, I, I think that's that's the thing. But, but, you know, both two older wide receivers there trying to make it happen. Um, you know, looking at this Tennessee team, I think they're awfully talented as far as where they were, you know, a couple of years back when Pruitt first took over. Uh, I think they've, you know, they've started to kind of move in the right direction. Uh, I will caution you, though, that I think that the hype here, you know, and I could be wrong because I'm wrong about Tennessee a lot. Some years I think, ah, this is the year they're going to break through. Uh, and then some years I think, well, you know, they're not as good. And they, they kind of go the opposite direction. They're sort of like Auburn in a way. Um, you know, and I, I did think last year's game with Tennessee, as far as Carolina was concerned, and I, I put it in a different perspective because I did not think Carolina would be struggling like they were. I, I thought that, you know, I wrote about this last summer that Tennessee was sort of a, I didn't call it a trap game. I called it something else, but was sort of a one of the games people were overlooking because every time Carolina goes to Knoxville, they struggle. Um, they've won twice up there, and both games were these ugly sixteen or three times. I'm sorry, they won three times up there: sixteen, fifteen, fourteen, three, fifteen, nine. You know, very low scoring, rock throwing contest types of games. Um, and you look at that, you know, and you look at the series and no matter how good or bad a team is, and then you look at the fact that, you know, recently Tennessee had a three-game win streak in the series. Carolina snapped it and won three in a row, and now Tennessee's back. Um, and, and you think, you know, Carolina's never beaten Tennessee four years in a row. So I think that, you know, Saturday's a chance to start another streak. But, uh, you know, that was kind of why that game w- was worrisome. This game this year is not so much worrisome as important. Um, I think if you lose this game, you, you know, everybody's right. You know, Tennessee has passed South Carolina. Tennessee is on to bigger and better things. You know, they're on to worrying about the rest of their schedule. And, and they've got some a lot of good teams, <laughs> believe me, on their schedule this year. You know, they go – uh, Missouri, but then it's at Georgia in week three. And then they got Kentucky and Bama back-to-back at home. They go to Arkansas, but then they got Texas A&M and at Auburn. And then they go at Vandy, and then they don't play Florida till the first week of December. Um, and so, they're, you know, this is a big game for them in terms of momentum because what you don't want to have happen is if you're them, you're coming out of week three at one and two, everybody's grumbling – Maybe you get cut by Kentucky, which rarely happens. Kentucky just can't beat the Vols for some reason. Um, but what if you do? Then you're one and three, one and four going into the bye week, and everybody's like, well, they're struggling again, you know. And so 
I, I do think that, you know, beating South Carolina on the road is pivotal, you know, especially right now. And I don't know that they'll lose to Kentucky. Let, let's say two and two, two and three going in the bye week, you still have a losing record. Uh, if you beat South Carolina, even if you lose to Bama and Georgia, you're three and two. Arkansas, A&M, Auburn, Vandy, Florida, you know, you win your share of those. And you're going back to a nice bowl and you got a top five recruiting class. And so things are, things are ready to roll. You know, they're starting to, you know, starting to get, get good. So, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I will say this. Uh, I will say, uh, do not listen to some of the poor mouthing coming out of Knoxville Read an article with Jim Chaney, their offensive coordinator, same thing. And they're all on the same page with Pruitt as far as, you know, hey, uh, we, we hadn't been practicing. We hadn't done this. We hadn't done that. Maybe, maybe so. I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. But I'm, he- I'm hesitant to believe that. I'm hesitant to believe they've had all these issues out there as far as that's concerned. All right, time for the mailbag. And we do have a lot of mailbag questions today, and I appreciate that. Again, again, but if you, you know, want to ask a mailbag question, there's two ways to do it. You can get on Twitter and tweet at the Big Spur Pod. Also, follow at the Big Spur Pod. And uh, we have different Twitter content there than we do on at the Big Spur 247. Uh, and so I appreciate everybody doing that, but, um, you tweeted us and we answer it and, uh, all that. And so, and I'll also give you a retweet from that account here. All right. So Dr. Rob says, JC, I love you and your commentary on the big spur. Um, and love the show. I'm really pulling for Xavier Leggett this year. I love under the radar PD guys, Jamacia Jackson, Fred Bennett, Cleveland Pickney, Savelle Newton. Who is your favorite Gamecock from the PD? Hmm. I mean, I'm a big Savelle Newton fan just because I think had he not gotten injured in 2005 and he tore his Achilles against Vandy, and then had he not bolted for the pros, had he had a great ending to that season, um, I think he'd have been one of the most dynamic, accomplished players in program history. Now, as it stood, you know, the next year, Blake Mitchell had his midseason swoon, and Savelle goes in and starts six games at quarterback. And there was a lot of exciting football played during that time. I mean, they lost some games. They lost to Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn. But there were some games where he just – he looked really good, you know, and kept the Gamecocks rocking and rolling. You know, the game up at Vandy was an example of that. But I, th- I think if you look back at the 2005 Carolina Vandy game, and I'll never forget it because a friend of mine had a swanky luxury box at the stadium that I got to get up and sit in during this one, have a beer. And I was watching Jay Cutler, and Cutler kind of went up and down the field with Vandy. It was 35-28. And the way Steve Spurrier used Savelle Newton that day, because you know, Carolina was not very dynamic at running back. You had the first Mike Davis and Dacus Terman. Uh, and Bobby Wallace. I mean, those are the running backs. So, you know, using Savelle at running back that day all of a sudden gave the Gamecocks some dynamic ability in the, in the tailback. Uh, he lined up at quarterback. He lined up at wide receiver. I mean, he was the he was the story that day. And, and then he, 
I think he's going in for a touchdown and ruptured his Achilles. You know, Carolina went on to beat Tennessee and, and to beat Florida and, you know, almost beat Clemson and, you know, come within a play of winning the SEC East. Um, because had they beaten Georgia earlier in the year, they would have won it. But I, I, I think that Savelle continues to play. That offense, it becomes a completely different story. And everybody's talking about instead of how Spurrier's kind of scratching it together with a team that basically has Sidney Rice, and, and that's about it, you know, trying to dial up the ball plays every week. You know, that, that offense come, becomes a lot more dynamic. And then heading into 06 – you know, when Corey Boyd gets back and, and all that, you know, there's there's no telling what that offense would have really been had he stayed. So, Savelle knew. Now, under the – you know, you don't talk about under the radar, though. I mean, he wasn't – Savelle wasn't really under the radar. Um, and so, Xavier Leggett is a guy I'll give a chance to. As far as that goes, I, I liked Andrea Gauls uh, from over there in Conway. Um you know, I, I think that uh, T.J. Johnson from Ainer was an under-the-radar PD guy, Horry County guy that, that uh, as a three-star guy, kind of went to college and you know, lasted the NFL a while. He was really good. T.J. Johnson was really good. Um, so those are some guys. And, and I'm sure back in the day there were more. But there is a lot of good football over there. Carolina gets just about everybody uh, from the PD. So um, it's a good place to go recruiting, as they say. <laughs> All right, Joey, says JC, first and foremost, I listened to all of your pods and your abhorrence for Dave Dorn's coaching ability somehow seeped its way into my subconscious. I lost 50 bucks on Wake this past weekend. Thanks for that. Look, I'm sorry. I just think Wake can't, can't stop anybody. NC State, personnel-wise, I probably, you know, because I, I I just shut down all talk about NC State because I'm like, ah, they're going to lose Dave Dorn, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to be funny. Their, their offensive personnel is probably better than I gave them credit for. And and here's good news. Des Kitchings recruited most of those guys. So uh, they're good. Wake, Wake, I don't think it stopped anybody. I think people got caught up in the Wake Forest, you know, not getting completely obliterated by Clemson a little bit. But, hey, it was a close game. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry that that happens. Don't listen to me when money's involved. Get, get – uh, go get uh, some expert advice from CBS sports line or somebody like that. Cause I'm not, I'm not all that great at it. You know, sometimes I'll have a good weekend to be right more than I'm wrong. But sometimes I'm wrong. And I, I think it's just because how I analyze things and, and, and with my brain is I, I'm really good at scenarios. Like, okay, if this happens, then this could happen. And this happens and this happens, and this happens. And that's good when you're talking about football games. But when you're talking about pinpointing a score or a prediction, you know, you're, you're basically guessing because you got four different scenarios mapped out in your mind. And so you're just picking one. And that's hard for me to do <laughs> because I don't really have like a favorite scenario. So it's don't listen to me when it comes to predictions. I'm not very good at them. When it comes to like, you know, w- w- black or white, win or lose, that kind of thing. I, I can tell you that I, f- I think a guy's going to be in the NFL and be right a lot of the time. But I can't tell you, you know, you know, results of games. How about that? Now for a real question, any DT depth concern? Uh, you know, my concern about the depth was when I assumed Pickens and Sandage were going to start 
And then you have, you know, Thomas and Ellis who were undersized backing him up. And then you got Huntley and Scott kind of fighting for that fifth rotational deal, maybe a little MJ Webb. But now that, you know, Ellis and Thomas are starting and, you know, so your depth is basically um, Pickens and Sandage. And I'm going to hold off here because they just released the depth chart. <laughs> so, uh, you know, here we go. So, so breaking news, I'm going to go through the depth chart and then I'll answer the email questions today. Um, yeah. So defensive end starting Aaron Sterling, Taka Hemingway backing him up. That concerns me about Joe Anderson. Cause I guess he didn't really make the move people thought, or maybe they're using him in a special role, but that that's concerning me right now. I'm going to, Put me on the Joe Anderson concerned list that he wasn't the second guy and we got a true freshman. Uh, we're looking at a true freshman starting there. Um, but Aaron Sterling starting at end. Uh, Kier Thomas is indeed starting at D-tackle, backed up by Zach Pickens. Jabari Ellis starting at the other D-tackle, backed up by Rick Sandage. The Buck is J.J. Kingsley Enigbare, backed up by Jordan Birch, true freshman. The Sam is Brad Johnson, redshirt junior, backed up by walk-on Spencer Easton Riddle. And before you worry about a walk-on there, you know, they love Easton Riddle. And, and quite frankly, I do too. When he's got a chance to play, he's played pretty well. So I'm not worried about that. Ernest Jones is the starter at Mike, backed up by Damani Staley. The Will linebacker is Sherrod Green or Damani Staley. Damani's had a good camp. Uh, but Sherrod is kind of the guy that, you know, has been starting a while. And would that be a concern that Sherrod Green is an or right now? I don't know. I think it's more of a – based on what I've heard, too, I've heard this, so it's not – I'm not just guessing. Uh, it's more about Damani having just a super, super-duper camp. Uh, but we'll see. And don't forget, Muhammad Kaba is over there as well. Uh, and I think as the season goes on, you're going to see him more and more. Cornerback, Izzy McQuamu, backed up by Cam Smith. Safety, R.J. Roderick is starting, backed up by Shiloh Sanders. Another safety, Jamie Robinson starting, backed up by Jalen Nickerson. Uh, I'm sorry, Nickerson. I was sitting there thinking about the nickelback, Jalen Dickerson. Good to see him back in the two deep. Uh, corner is J.C. Horn, backed up by John Nixon. And then when they go nickel, Jamie Robinson slides up. He's backed up by J.C. Horn at the nickel. So Robinson will slide up. Dickerson will go to safety, according to the depth chart. Uh, and then you got uh, Jamar Brown at the dime, and R.J. Roderick will play the dime if Jamar Brown's not able to go. But they got Brown back this week, so I think that's pretty huge. So that's the game guy's depth chart on defense. I'm going to see here if they've got offense. Yeah, offensive depth chart. So here we go. All this is on the bigspur.com, by the way. And they didn't put it in. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So they put it in paragraph form. So Jalen Brooks is not eligible. So he's not on here. Uh, he, he hasn't. You know, there's not been a public determination here. Three starters at wide receiver, Shai Smith, Xavier Leggett, DeCarrie, and Jordan. 
And then three true freshmen behind those guys, Luke Doty, Rico Powers, and Jakari Caldwell. So we've been hearing good things about Caldwell in recent weeks. Obviously, you've heard all about Doty, obviously all about Powers. So those three true freshmen are right there. That would mean Josh Van, a returning guy, is like seventh. Uh, and like I've said, yeah, he's seventh. And so you know, he was third last year. Really, he's eighth if um, if you count Brooks in there. Um, and that's a good thing. And I, and I think he'll still get in there, maybe make some plays. But uh, he's he's kind of been battling it and so all that. Uh, Kevin Harris or Deshaun Fenwick will start at running back. My guess is it'll be Kevin Harris. Uh, and that's, a, that's an informed guess. At right tackle, Jalen Nichols, Vershawn Lee, Ja'Kai Moore. Um, so that's what it says there. They remain in competition. Uh, Dylan Wanham will start at left tackle, backed up by turn and tide. Hutcherson, left guard. Jordan Rhodes is behind him. Eric Douglas ahead of Vincent Murphy. So Hank Manos is third at center. And then Wyatt Campbell behind Joe Von Gwynn at right guard. Um, so right tackle is Nichols, Lee, and Moore. You know, so Turnentown didn't win the job, but, you know, like I said, that that I said this in the summer. It was a little bit of a concern because he was a JUCO. He hadn't had spring practice. Then the beginning of practice, he went out there and did good. But this goes to show you, too, sometimes guys hit a wall. Uh, and sometimes also, you know, when you're starting to put it all together, full contact wise, things get different. Not that he doesn't like the contact or anything, but you're trying to deal with your defensive ends coming off full speed at you and all that. And sometimes it's hard to learn, but you know, they like turning time. I know he's a monster. So, but I, I would definitely not put anybody back there or up there heading into this game. That's going to, do the Olay style of blocking where it's like, hey, come on, let's just go hit Colin Hill and we'll be fine. Two tight end spots on the two deep. Um, Nick Muse is listed as one starter and Kevion Mullins as the other with Keyshawn Tony and Will Register as the backup. So congrats to Kevion Mullins. That's going to be one of those slot areas. I think they think they can do some things with him. Adam Prentice is the only fullback on the roster. We got Taylor Zarzar and Matt Stenchkin as the uh, SEC Network crew this weekend with Alyssa Lang, University of South Carolina graduate, Alyssa Lang, rolling on the sideline. So, uh, yeah, so that took me a little further because Hale uh, didn't put it in depth chart format. <laughs> and John Del Bianco did the defense, and and he did. So so there's that. So that that's the deal. So I hope that answers some of your questions too about the, the depth on the defensive line. All right, Jeremy. Uh emails in and lots of things uh about um Evans here and wanting to get away from Hartsville. And all I'll say about this is this is informative. Uh Jeremy has kind of some first hand knowledge about you know, why Evans needed to get away from Hartsville. And um, he says he's absolutely right about that decision. And, you know, the kid needs to get away from home. And that happens. Sometimes that's legit. Uh, You know, what gets me is sometimes there's, you know, the people use that as an excuse. And and I I see it more in basketball. Like these basketball folks are like, you know, you need to get away from South Carolina and, and go. And then, then they go someplace that's like, 
what's so much better about over there other than it's further from home. And then the kid ends up not being that good. That happens more in basketball. But I, I think that the narrative about, you know, South Carolina having a lot of players to get in trouble and all that good stuff is an old tired narrative and, and people still, still try to use that. That being said, when it comes to a young man's home life, you know, who am I to judge? And certainly, you know, certainly I think, um, if there's issues there in Hartsville, he needs to get away. Probably maybe needs to go further in Tennessee. I was thinking, uh, you know, just get on – going Oklahoma, someplace like that. That would be pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Hartsville's close enough to Columbia, too. You're walking around five points or whatever. You may run into some people that don't – that, you know, aren't good for you or whatever. So, we'll see what happens. Spence? Emails in for the second straight day. Thank you so much. JC, thanks for taking the time to respond to the email and appreciate the shout-out on the podcast. Great show as always. I love your insight and perspective. You're a real asset to us fans. Continued success, brother. Thank you, Spence. And once again, Spence used to call in and email in on the box. And uh, in 1,400, the team in Columbia, when I was there, gosh, it's been 12 years since uh, I was on the air there uh, in Columbia. So I – one day I may make it back. Maybe when I retire or whatever, I, I want to just go do a local show. You don't make that much money doing that, by the way, uh, just to tell you. But uh, get some retirement going. Maybe maybe I'll retire to the coast and have a Gamecock daily talk show. Or maybe I'll have a Gamecock daily talk show sooner than people think. <laughs> you never know in this business, folks. But um, – uh, point of all that is I miss that in a lot of ways. And if that was the only thing I were doing, uh, I'd have probably done a better job just to be honest. Cause you look back through your career, that was 12 years ago. I've had time to reflect and probably could have done a better job with it. Um, all right. Set of questions from Spence. Do you think the defensive scheme is too elaborate or complex? I wonder because the safety play has been so poor amongst others. I just wonder if Muschamp could scale it back a bit and be more successful when stuff starts hitting the fan, like the last two Florida games. Uh, I, I don't think that's wrong to say. I mean, I've had some people tell me that, too, more more so when he first got there, and it was more so along the lines of can you recruit to that system in terms of getting enough D linemen and all that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. You know, they, they, I know they put a lot on their safeties mentally. And is there a correlation between – putting a lot on them and their actual performance, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this system works at other places, uh, you know, and, and I don't know that the players at other places are smarter than they are at Carolina. Um, but uh, it's been poor, and there's no question about it, and, and, and the thoughts cross my mind. I mean, I, I don't – you know, it, it, there is a lot, you know, and, and now there's a lot on offense. So I think that's – when you look back over the years, complexity is not always equal to success at South Carolina when it comes to football. So I think you make a good point. I can't prove that right now. Ask me here in a couple of weeks. Because <laughs> the defense should be good this year. Uh, tell us the reason why South Carolina high school basketball coaches hate sending their players to Frank. You intimated over several shows about how Frank has done really bad in the state. Does it do the AAU thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't care who you get as the coach at South Carolina. 
they're not going to do well in the state. And, and South Carolina, if you notice, has not done well in the state of South Carolina recruiting in basketball consistently. I mean, Odom got his share. Uh, since Eddie Fogler decided to leave, and Eddie Fogler got out of coaching because of the AAU deal. And there are some folks that are associated with AAU basketball that don't really care for South Carolina, nor Frank Martin. And how you combat that is you make your program so good that um, you make your program so good that, that it's hard to turn them down. And, uh, you know, when North Carolina was just starting their program, and I guess before Frank McGuire got there, you know, I'm sure some of the players in the state of North Carolina wanted to, um, you know, wanted to, uh, wanted to uh, go elsewhere. Well, they started winning, going to Final Fours, winning national championships. And uh, now it's real hard to get a player out of North Carolina, the Tar Heels won. That, that's all I can say. You know, you, you got to – you can't just go to one Final Four and overcome something like this because it's, it's sort of ingrained in people's heads. Uh, the way to do that, you know, is to be really, really good, you know. Uh, it's like uh, the comedian Jim Jeffries says what he wants best for his kid is for him to be really, really good looking, you know. So he's really, really good with the ladies, you know. That's, you know, you want to be better with the ladies, go hit the gym and be really, really good looking. <laughs> I, I can assure you it makes it easier uh, and all that. So that's kind of the thing there. They, they've just got to start stringing together consistently. You got one, you got one step and then another, you know, you, you look and I, I use Florida as an example with this because, you know, the Gators kind of had a out of nowhere final four under Lon Kruger. He ended up going to Illinois. Their program slipped tremendously. They hired Billy Donovan. Donovan knew how to take that and build it on the next deal. Now, is, is that what I'm advocating here? Well, Frank did this, so then the next guy is going to do that. No, I, I don't want there to be a next guy. I, I love Frank Martin. I think he's, you know, he's a, he's the guy that can continue to build it. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, they've gotten to the point where they're more consistent within the league. Uh, no coach has had winning records in the SEC consistently like Frank has, even Fogler, um, who won it. Uh, and, you know, so, so that's the point. Well, now you got to start making the tournament. you got to make the big dance. That's, that's everything in college basketball. And you run off four of five, uh, something like that. You're in the big dance, mate, and you, and you advance, which, you know, Frank, Frank usually wins. Uh, his opening game, at least, and and all of a sudden you're, you're really good, and all of a sudden the, the the barn is packed, and all of a sudden players around the state are like, "Why the hell am I going to Ole Miss?" You know, <laughs> uh, when you got this right here, and so that's what it's going to take to overcome all that. And I've rambled on and on about basketball, but we can we can do that. And I I do think they're going to be good this year, so maybe that's a start. All right. Dre emails in. He says, hello, JC. My name is Dre, and I'm quite a fan of the show. Thanks, Dre. I have every intention of making it down to Dive Bar for a meet-and-greet opportunity with you, but there's always next season. Could you please educate or shed more light on the waiver approval prospect prospect, waiver approval process? It's frustrating to still not have an answer about Brooks, yet Cade Mays 
is a go. Thanks, it spurs up. These two things happen at different times. I, you know, I don't know what exactly at South Carolina they needed. Now, keep in mind, too, Cade Mays, number one, he's still not eligible. The SEC has to sign off on interconference transfers. So that's number one. Number two, um, you're dealing with Brooks, a kid that, like, transferred after last year from Wingate to Tarleton State and then transferred back to South Carolina. And what, what people don't always get is that we're talking about like transcripts. And so you've got to get transcripts from here, there, yonder. Uh, you got to get them from Tarleton. You got to get them from Wingate. Blah, blah. And so sometimes that, that process takes a little longer than it's just a boom, boom. I was here. Now I'm there kind of deal. Now, is it frustrating that they don't sit in a room this week and Saul say, all right, these football players need an answer. Let's roll through it. Is that frustrating? Yes. Because that's their job. <laughs> you know, I mean, what the hell are they doing? Sketching out, you know, bubble ideas from Ben's basketball right now? I mean, look, and I know they furloughed some folks, and that was stupid right here more heading towards football, but that also just shows there's like a laissez-faire attitude toward football up there. I think that a lot of times, and I mentioned this about the fact that they're basically being jerks about recruiting – and, uh, you know, continuing the dead period and all that, I think a lot of times being you know, because they don't make the money off big-time football that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like, well, we, we have other priorities. And I, I don't know. That's just a theory of mine. I think that they're a, they pretend to be this benevolent, nonprofit, bastion of morality sort of, you know, king of amateurism organization. And I, I think ultimately they're about the money just like everybody else. And I think football brings in money for the schools. But doesn't bring much money in for the NCAA, does it? No, there's no – they don't get any money off the college football playoff or bowls or anything like that. So, anyway, that's my take on that. I, I do wish they would get Jalen Brooks an answer – and they may have already done it. They may just not have released it yet. Let me just check my email, make sure we don't have a a uh, email that says Brooks transfer denied or whatever. No, we don't have that yet. But I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not confident it'll get resolved by the weekend, or or that he'll play, which is unfortunate because he's good. Uh, so hope to carry and Joiner, you know, continues to do well at wide receiver. I can't believe we fit all that in in an hour. With the breaking news on the depth chart and everything else coming in midstream, talked about Tennessee, talked about their personnel, answered your mailbag questions. Once again, tweet at the Big Spur Pod, email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com for your questions answered live here. Not, not live. I'm answering them live, but I'm recording um, on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Don't forget, subscribe to this podcast. Some of you listen and don't subscribe. Uh, let me just tell you, subscribing is free. You know, you go to, to Apple Pod, hit the subscribe button. It's free. Um, all that means is they're going to tell you when there's a new episode. You get a little alert or whatever off your podcasting app. So uh, go ahead and subscribe. Rate five stars. Write some reviews. And once again, we're, we're trucking toward 1,000 by the end of the season, and I think we'll get there. I'm excited about that. Uh, and, and also, thanks for all your questions and for supporting the Inside the Game Cops podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert, 
Game week rolls on tomorrow. Holla at you guys soon.